thirst for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you. We have we've spoken to you in prayer. We've sung to you. We've made offerings to you. And Lord, now we come to hear from you. Lord, we need to hear your words spoken into our hearts, something that only the Holy Spirit can do. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak into our hearts. Lift up our hearts. Lift up our eyes. Fill us with encouragement and comfort and joy and let us see Jesus so that our hearts are set free, so that we're drawn to you and we find life in you. Come and speak to your people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, each week, for those of you who are visitors, we begin with a question that we ask for the kids. The kids do our sermon introduction each week. So, here's your question this week, kids. What happens, you're going to have to be real loud, what happens whenever you don't drink any water? Like, don't ever drink any water. You get thirsty. Good job. Has anybody ever been really, really thirsty? Kids, have you ever been really, really thirsty? What's, tell me what it's like. When, when were you the most thirsty that you can remember? What's that? When it was so hot. When you went on field day at school, was it really hot outside? Okay, at the end of school. Yeah, field day at the end of school. After soccer practice, right? After playing a game of some sort. H. You think of a time you're really, really thirsty? What was it? Playing baseball. That's right. All right, Gray, what you got? Going to Mr. Chad's school. Okay. It's a little inside joke in the family, so I won't bore you with the details. Last one, when? At the beach. That's right. It's hot at the beach. You can be down at the beach and get really, really thirsty. Now, what does it feel like whenever you're really, really thirsty and you drink a big old glass of water? What, is, what do you feel after you've done that? What's that? That's right. Yeah, you get so full. You get hydrated, right? 
What a feeling of deep satisfaction whenever you've been really, really thirsty and you drink a big old glass of water. You know, as I think about thirst, my mind always goes to one particular time in my life, and that was whenever I was in high school and I was about this time of year in football practice. Uh, I was a football player, and we would have about this time of year, we would have two a days, two practices a day. Okay, I think that is like outlawed now. But my coaches, my football coaches, thought to drink water was weak. And so if you let people have water, then it's just, you're just encouraging weakness. But it's not like they didn't have any water out at practice. They would stack up these huge jugs of water at the side of the field, and we would have to practice in sight of that water the whole time. Okay, now, like, coaches would go to jail if they did this. But I remember practicing in the hot August heat, uh, parched, so thirsty, all I could think about was water. And literally, during the whole practice, I mean, I'm just kind of stumbling through the motions of football, but all I can think about is that water. I'm looking over at the water. I'm having fantasies in my mind of just totally getting up. Coaches are yelling, and I'm just walking over and just turning up that jug of water and dumping it on my head. Okay? Such an intense feeling of thirst and longing and desire. And whenever we finally got to that point where we were able to drink water, utter satisfaction. Nothing else in the world mattered. Uh, there's few experiences in life that, that more illustrate a sense of longing than thirst. Now, we don't get thirsty a lot much anymore in our culture. We got plenty of water, right? We have bottles and bottles and bottles of water. But in the world of the Bible, it was a very arid region of the world, and water was very hard to come by. And so the experience of thirst was a very real experience. And in the Bible, thirst becomes a metaphor for longing, for desire, and where water becomes also a picture of life and of satisfaction. And it's understanding this metaphor that begins to help us to enter in to the passage that we're looking at here in Psalm 63, where King David takes this sense of thirst and he applies it to his longing for God himself. Now, we've been in a series, a sermon series this summer on prayer. And we've been looking at the Psalms and we're looking at all kinds of different aspects of prayer. What is prayer? It's, it's praise. It's, it's also meditating on God's Word. It's wrestling with God. It's resting. We're looking at all of these aspects of prayer. But today, we're actually going to conclude our series in prayer. This is where you say, oh, right? Today is when we're going to conclude our series in prayer. All right, thank you. A few of you are willing to participate. We're going to conclude it, and what we're going to talk about today, I want to kind of bring it all together and, and kind of look at uh, the importance of prayer as a means of increasing desire for God. Now, as we've talked about prayer, we've tried to be honest over and over and over about how hard prayer is. Prayer is something that's pretty humbling to all of us because we're all very much aware that I don't pray nearly as much as I should. In fact, as I begin to look at my prayer life, I begin to see how very small my devotion to God really is. Prayer is an incredibly hard thing. In fact, for most of us, prayer a lot of times feels very dry. It feels very much just like a duty. I mean, for some of us, 
prayer is kind of like going to the dentist. Right? You know, you go to the dentist, not out of great desire and joy. If you do, something's wrong with you. I mean, who loves to go to the dentist? Okay, we have one over here. Okay, all right. The hunters. I don't know what dentist you go to. I want to go visit that dentist. But you know why you go to the dentist? You go to the dentist because really you have to. And you know if you don't, then there will be more problems later. And so you go to the dentist reluctantly and let's get this over with. Sometimes that's how we think about prayer. I know I'm supposed to. I know if I don't, then bad things will happen. But it's not necessarily something that I long for. And what our lack of prayer shows is our lack of desire for God. Uh, Our prayer, prayer is a reflection of desire for God. And so the question becomes, how do we change our desires? Which is really a fundamental question for how do we change? If we want to change, your desires have to be changed. How do we change our desires? So we're going to look at how prayer is a means to the changing of our desires. So let's dive into our psalm together. We're looking at Psalm 63. It's a psalm of David. And this psalm is an intense expression of longing and desire for God. Look at verse 1, what he says. He begins with, O God. Now, even that sense of O. Who uses O as a regular practice of your conversation? To say, oh, is an expression itself of longing. Oh! Even there, he is longing. And he says, oh, God, you are my God. Now, even right there, he is uh, indicating the reality that God is, is not just the God. He's not just the creator. He's not just the king. But rather, in a very personal way, you are my God. It's an expression of the intimacy of relationship that he enjoys with God. You're not just the God, you are my God. I know you, and you know me. And then he says this, earnestly I seek you. To be earnest is to be serious, it's to be committed, it's to be all out. And David here is saying, I am coming after you. I am searching for you, I'm longing for you, I'm pursuing you, I need you, earnestly I seek you. And then, it gets even more vivid and intense. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now what's interesting there is David says, my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What's helpful to understand is where David is in this moment. We get that in the introduction of the psalm. You see that right at the very beginning of the psalm. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Now, if you go to 2 Samuel and you see something of the background that's taking place in this psalm, David is in the desert. He is on the run. He is in a place where there's very little water at all. He is on the run from his enemies. He's filled with fear. Uh, His life is being threatened. As we look at his circumstances, we might say his circumstances are a little less than ideal. Things are not necessarily going rosy for David whenever he comes and prays this psalm. But what is remarkable about the psalm is that he does not say, in light of his circumstances, Lord, change my circumstances. Rather, he says, I seek 
you in the midst of this. It's kind of remarkable. He, we couldn't fault him if he came to God in the midst of these circumstances and say, deliver me, provide for me, I need your help here. The Psalms say that a whole lot. But rather, these circumstances for David, for him, remind him and push him to a place of greater longing for God himself. David does not come and say, I'm, I'm hungry and I'm thirsting for you to change my circumstances, but rather, I'm thirsty for you. My circumstances are causing my desire for you, my longing for you to grow. I want you, not just a change in circumstances, which is a remarkable kind of perspective for each of us because we know what it's like to be in less than ideal circumstances. Many of us even now are walking through really hard seasons of life and facing very painful struggles in our life. And yet as we look at David, the circumstances serve to increase his desire for God. It drives David to say, my soul thirsts for you. Now an interesting thing about this metaphor of thirst is that David here says, physical thirst, that is a very real reality if you've ever been thirsty, as we mentioned earlier, that physical thirst is a metaphor and a picture of a far deeper kind of thirst, and it's the thirst of the soul. That's what David is saying here. It is my soul that is thirsting for you. Now, this is a, a tremendous way to kind of step back and understand all of humanity, the ways that we've been created. As I mentioned before, the Bible used this concept of thirst over and over and over to describe what drives us. Thirst in the Bible is a metaphor for our desires. And ultimately, whenever you seek to understand people and what drives us, what, what is behind all the things that we do, it's our desires. We have been created with deep desires, with deep longings, longings for, for meaning, longings for joy, for for a purpose, for identity. Deep, thirsty desires in each one of us, and it is a seeking after the fulfillment of these desires that drives our lives. This is how God has made us. God has made us, another way of putting it, is to be worshipers, is to have deep desires and longings for God Himself and to pursue the fulfillment of those longings in God Himself. Jesus taps into this often as he in the New Testament is interacting with different people. In John chapter 4, there's this amazing scene where this woman has gone to a well to draw water. Now, some of the things we learn about this woman is that she was a very promiscuous woman. She goes in the middle of the day so that she won't run into anybody else in the town. See, all the women in that culture went to the well in the morning. They would go together as a group, but yet this woman goes in the middle of the day She's avoiding people. She's a woman of reputation. She's a woman who has been moving through men the way that most people move through socks. And here she is in the middle of the day at the well, and Jesus encounters her at the well. And do you know essentially what he asked her? I see you're thirsty. I see that you are deeply thirsty in your soul. You see, Jesus looks, he, he knows her life, he knows her behavior, and what that tells him is that she is filled with longings for love, for meaning, and for purpose. But the problem 
is where she goes to fulfill those desires in the love of a man. And she's continually finding it not satisfying. And Jesus essentially says to her, I'm the only thing that can satisfy the deep desires of your heart. I'm the living water who brings the deepest satisfaction to your soul. But here's the problem with humanity as seen in the woman at the well. Our problem, if you boil it all the way down, and this includes every single person in here, is that we seek all kinds of different things to satisfy our deep longings. We seek all kinds of created things to satisfy the deep thirst of our souls. We run after approval, success, money, work, accomplishment, our children, booze, homes, Pinterest. We can go on and on and on. If you want to understand what drives us, if you want to understand our lives, it's the deep thirst of the soul. And our most fundamental problem is we seek satisfaction in those things, in all kinds of created things that never can desire. But as we look at David here, what we see is that he has come to the place of seeing, my thirst is for you. My desire is for you. Part of our problem is that our desires for God are far too small and our desire for created things are far too great. And that's why we run after those things and why there is so little capacity for God. But David, as we come to see David, he has come to the place of saying, my soul thirsts for you. So how do you change your desires? What's happened in David that he has come to a place where his longing is for the living God. And it's this. He's come to know the all-satisfying love of God. Look at what he says in verse 3. David says this, which is a huge statement. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Look at verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. A huge kind of statement that David makes here. You see, David has come to see. He knows this reality. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Do you see how enormous that statement is? The love of God, experiencing God's love, knowing God's love in the deep places of your heart is better, is more satisfying, is more fulfilling than anything that this life has to offer. Now think for a minute of all that that includes. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than success. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than family and children. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than comfort and peace and security. That is an enormous statement. David comes to the place of saying, your love is better than anything else. In fact, you can take everything away from me and if I still have your life, your love, I'm the infinite gainer. In fact, that is the secret to sacrifice. The only way that we can live sacrificial lives is if you have gained something far more precious than that which you let go of. And in that way, only a deep experience of the love of God can free you to sacrifice, to give, to become generous. So David 
has come to the place of realizing your love is better than anything that this life has to offer. And that's why in the midst of the desert, my soul thirsts not for water, not for a change in circumstances, but for you, the living God. And as I come to, to taste and to experience your love, my soul is satisfied as with the richest of foods. My soul is like coming to the buffet at Larry's, feasting, living full, and leaving satisfied and full. It's a tremendous statement. But here's, here's another thing to notice about this. David is not presently experiencing that love. Do you notice that? In verse 2 he says this. He talks about a past experience. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He remembers back on a time where God's love was crystal clear. Where he was in the very presence of God. Where he was in the temple. Where he was gathered with God's people. And God's power and glory was very visible and very real. But yet where he is now, he's not experiencing it. And that's where the longing comes from. Do you see the relationship between desire and satisfaction or fulfillment? The relationship between longing and joy. You see, we see that in David. So, he's not presently experiencing it, but what creates the desire is that he knows how, how satisfying God's love is. And so that's what drives his desire. Whatever it is you perceive to be the ultimate treasure is what will command your desires. And whatever it is commands your desires is what will drive what you do, what you pursue, what you seek after. So as we come to the place of saying, my desire for God is so very small, and as I compare the things that I run after in this life, it's so very great, the ultimate question becomes, how do I change that? How do I change my desires? And what we see in David is, First, you've got to know that God's love is more satisfying than anything that this life has to offer. So a crucial question becomes this. How do I know and experience God's love? If it's an experience of God's love that changes my desires and drives a longing for Him, how do I know and experience God's love? And here's the answer. In the gospel. Nothing like the gospel so vividly shows us the concrete picture of God's love for you, for us personally. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, he says this, God demonstrates His love for us in this. He, he pictures it. He puts it on display in this. It was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. It was when we were at our worst whenever we had no interest in God, whenever we're going the other way, whenever we are seeking and desiring to be our own God and seeking life and all kinds of created things, it's when we were at our worst that Christ chose to lay down His life and die on a cross in order to purchase us for Himself. That is the gospel. And that is the tangible, the most tangible display of God's love. Do you ever wonder to yourself, does God love me? Does His love ever seem distant and pale in the face of your struggles and your screw-ups? Do you ever say, I'm not sure God can love me in this moment? What the Apostle Paul says is, look at the cross. 
It's the ultimate demonstration of God's love for you. God's love is not just something that He says, but something that He makes concrete in the gospel. And so you see, it says we continually take hold of this. As we embrace this, as we rest ourselves in the cross, in the gospel, that we begin to know and experience God's love. And as we experience His love, it creates more and more desire for God Himself. So let me close with this as we're kind of concluding on prayer. So the question becomes, how do we change our desires? How do we increase a longing for God? And the answer is prayer, through prayer. We've been talking a lot about prayer. Now, the, the thing that you've got to see is the reason that we need to learn how to pray, and that's what we've been saying as a church. This is a season for us to really focus on prayer and say, how do we grow in prayer? The reason to grow in prayer is not just to learn how to pray better. And it's not because prayer is a good thing. It is. But those are not the ultimate reasons. The ultimate reasons that we need to learn how to pray more is because it is the way to increase desire for God. And it is only whenever our desires for God are increased that we will begin to know and taste more of His love. So we need to learn how to pray. So I want to challenge us. I want to give a challenge to us as a church to, for each one of us to form a daily practice of prayer. A practice is like a habit. You know how habits work in your life. We all have habits, good and bad habits. But here's what a habit does. A habit, of course, is something that you do regularly over and over and over and over. But here's the reality. Our habits form our desires. If your habit is to always look at Pinterest, what will your desire be for? Beautiful homes. If your practice, self-disclosing, is always to read about um, Georgia football, sorry, is to always look at rivals, you don't know what that is, but it's an online thing. It's kind of embarrassing to say out loud. It's an online service that just constantly focuses on the University of Georgia football team's recruiting. Okay? You really think I'm weird now, but you do it too in other things. What does that habit do to me? It causes my desire and longing for the greatness of Georgia to go higher so that I'm more crushed whenever the fall runs around, right? It's a bigger fall. But you see, it is our habits that shape our desires. And so if we come to see, my desire for God is far too small, how will my desire grow? The answer is a habit of prayer. And so there's no simple way to do that. You just got to do it. You just got to go about it. We need one another in order to do that. We need encouragement from one another. We need uh, accountability from one another. I would hope that as a community that we would ask one another, hey, tell me about your prayer life. Hopefully we're, we're loving and accepting enough to be able to be honest in that, but to encourage one another to grow in a daily practice of prayer. That's my challenge to us. Now, each week, we take a few moments at the end of the sermon to be able to interact with one another and to talk, to say, how does, 
how does what we just saw in the Word, how does that strike me, how does it move me? Uh, just to hear from one another. So we're going to do that now. Um, as we see the longing of David, as we see the love of God, and as we hear this call to prayer, to pursue that in prayer, what is that striking you? How does that affect you? Let's hear from one another.